I'm Dr. Walter Malone Jr., founder of WM Ministries. I want to thank you for joining me for this segment of Tailored to Win, that I might share with you some insights that can inspire, inform, and empower your life. Let me ask that you would join with me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, read in verse 24. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 24. And we have looked at this verse previously, but we're looking at it again because our focus is on the theme of uh, kingdom disciples, kingdom disciples. And when you talk about kingdom disciples, there are some fundamental passages of scripture that keep coming to our forefront of our hearts, mind, and spirit. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, the word of God reads like this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We're teaching about kingdom disciples. And throughout this year, I'm purposing every Wednesday throughout this year for the whole year to talk about what do we understand a kingdom disciple to be? What is God's call upon our lives? What is God's expectation for our lives as his people? One of the things that we must continue to help us to overcome as the people of God, that it is not enough simply to be a member of the church. We must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I like the way Cal Eiderman addresses this challenge. He's the pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and he wrote a book entitled, Not a Fan. Cal Eiderman says that the problem in most churches is that people want to be a fan of Jesus, but not a follower of Jesus. And maybe the weakness of the church is that we have plenty of members, we just don't have enough disciples. And so what is a disciple? It comes from the Greek word mathetes, which means to be a learner and a follower of another. It means to so embody the spirit, the mindset of another, that you literally allow that person to become incarnate in you. And so in the word of God, in the book of Acts, we, said, we are told that it was at Antioch that they were first called Christians and they were called Christians because their lives so emulated the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read this statement coming from the lips of Jesus, when you hear Jesus say, if any man would be my disciple, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, you're hearing God saying, here is my standard. Here is my expectation. God has a standard and we cannot lower the standard. It's God's standard. God has an expectation and we cannot change the expectation. Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple on your terms. You have to 
to be my disciple on my terms. And Jesus says, when we talk about discipleship, he says, keep in mind that there is a particular qualification for being my disciple. You must deny yourself, then you must take up your cross and follow me. So as we are studying this subject matter of kingdom disciples, we have raised the question, are there any distinguishable marks? Are there any distinguishable characteristics that would identify and affirm and confirm that we are disciples of Jesus Christ? And I think that there are. And so I'm giving you today another mark, another characteristic that speaks of the certainty that we are disciples of Christ. And that characteristic, that mark, is that we are willing to carry our cross in submission to Christ. How do I know that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ? I know that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ because I'm willing to carry my cross in submission to Jesus Christ. I know that I am a disciple of Christ because I'm willing to carry my cross in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mothers and fathers used to sing joyfully, did they not? Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Every Christian, every man, every woman who's going to be a disciple of Christ must be willing to carry their cross in submission to Jesus Christ. Now, inasmuch as we have looked at this verse again before, we're looking at it again. It's like taking a diamond and you keep turning it and you keep seeing different facets of the diamond. Well, the word of God is so powerful and it is so pregnant with revelation that every time you look at a passage prayerfully and you allow the Holy Spirit to breathe upon your mind, God can keep showing us various spiritual facets of the truth of his word. So I want to bring to our attention the more this morning as we look at this passage that when we think about Jesus saying, if you're going to be my disciple, here's the standard, here's the expectation. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Is that if a mark or characteristic of being a disciple of Christ is that I'm willing to carry my cross in submission to Jesus Christ. It means then that there's going to be a particular attitude that I'm going to have as a child of God in my relationship with Christ. It has to do with our attitude. And you understand that your attitude is going to shape the way you live. You understand that your attitude is going to give manifestation to your spiritual disposition. Because if I'm a Christian, I'm not a Christian just one day out of the week. I'm not just a Christian on Sunday morning when I'm at worship in the sanctuary on Sunday. If I am a Christian, if I authentically have a relationship with God, I'm a Christian when? Every day 
of the week. I'm a Christian every day, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. So is there ever a day that you wake up that you don't have the attitude that I'm a Christian? Is there ever a day that you wake up as a Christian and you don't have a consciousness, a spiritual awareness that I don't belong to myself, I belong to God? All of us as the people of God ought to live every day with a consciousness, with a reality that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I live my life in submission to him and he has called me to do something and what he's called me to do is he's called me to carry my cross in submission to him. And the carrying of my cross in submission to him is critical for my Christian living. I've got to have that attitude. I've got to have that disposition. Least I become spiritually lackadaisical. Least I become what the Bible calls asleep in Zion. The Bible says that the devil goes to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, the devil's only going to devour the person who is spiritually lackadaisical. He's only going to devour the person that is the person who has become at ease in Zion. And of course there are those persons who have no relationship with God and the devil is just causing a complete havoc and wreck in their life. But for the Christian, for the child of God, you understand that the enemy has to come against you because you're too anointed to be left alone. So he wants to distract you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to defeat you. He would even destroy you if he thought he could. But if you live with a particular attitude, if you live with a uh, awareness, with a spiritual disposition that every day I must present myself as a vessel of honor fit for the master's use, then the enemy cannot have any uh, advantage over your life. Because what is this attitude going to do to you and I? This attitude is going to push us into our purpose. This attitude is going to push us into our purpose. You see, the cross is speaking to me about God's purpose for my life. The cross is speaking to me about what the priorities are in my life. Because you understand that once you make a commitment to Christ, there is a revolution that takes place in our life. Is there not? Yeah, there's a revolution because before we come to Christ, what are we thinking about? Me, myself, and I. Before we give our lives to Christ, what is at the top of our agenda? Our own personal goals and personal aspirations. There is nothing going on in my life or your life before we were saved that had to do with God and his kingdom. But once we come to know Jesus, there's going to be a change, isn't it? In the agenda. What was at the top of my agenda now comes where? at the bottom. And what was at the bottom or not even on the agenda now comes to the top. Because is there anybody or anything 
that means more to you than the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. I pray not. I pray that God has the place of superiority. I pray that God has the place of preeminence in your life and in my life. How did Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. You and I are to live our lives with a kingdom focus, with a kingdom agenda. M Mark says in his gospel that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. He didn't come preaching church, he came preaching about the kingdom. The word kingdom there has to do with, it is the word the basileia. It has to do with the rule and the reign of God. So God sends Jesus into the world to now help to, ex to establish the kingdom of God in the earth realm. And so it is this vision of the kingdom that has been entrusted to the church. Jesus says to the disciples in this same pericope before we read verse 24, he says, upon this rock I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. You hear Jesus making such statements as the kingdom of God suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. That's what God has entrusted to you and I. He has entrusted to us the work of the kingdom. And so my attitude is going to push me into my purpose. My purpose has to do with making myself available so that God can work through my life to help establish his kingdom in the world. So the question could be is how expendable are you and I? Are we expendable? Can God use us at any point, at any time, in any way, under any condition? And that's why we must first deny ourselves. We must empty ourselves. We must get ourselves out of the way so God can have his way. And then we've got to take up this cross and we got to take it up daily. Now listen, let me give you a place to scream. God doesn't force the cross upon you. You got to take it voluntarily. You have to be willing to pick up that cross and carry it. It's voluntary. And so then it is as we take up the cross as we give ourselves to the work of the kingdom of God, that God is getting glory out of our lives. Now, when we talk about living our lives fruitfully and faithfully as the people of God, there are two ways we can look at this. Of course, we can look at it in terms of our own spiritual formation, you know, our continuing to grow in spiritual maturity. And it is in Romans chapter 6 that the Apostle Paul does this thorough teaching about grace 
and about the law and about the Spirit of God and he reminds us that Jesus Christ suffered, bled and died on the cross and that he was resurrected from the grave and in doing so we become the recipients of the grace of God. And so Paul says that we identify, that we identify fully and completely with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we identify fully and completely with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then it again, going back to the attitude, we do not want to go back to the old way of life because we don't have nothing to go back to. As people whose lives have been redeemed, as people whose lives have been transformed and changed, we live out of a spiritual awareness that just as Jesus was crucified on the cross, that you and I died on that cross with him. And just as he was resurrected from the grave, that you and I, in like manner spiritually, we have been resurrected now to walk in the newness of life. So then Paul says in, in Romans chapter 6, he says that we reckon, that is there's an accounting here, that we reckon ourselves to be dead to the issue of sin and now to be liberated in Christ. It's an attitude, it's a disposition, and this is going to now speak to us about our own spiritual formation, our own growth, our own development. You know, uh, in the Christian life, there is some struggle that all of us grapple with you know we're not perfect but we are moving toward perfection every day we're trying to be a better man a better woman for God you know so there's that struggle but but we ought not find ourselves in the same place all of our lives come on somebody talk to me yeah you I mean you've been a Christian for 20 years you ought not be in year 20 where you were in year one. I, I think all of us every year ought to do us kind of a spiritual assessment at the end of the year and ask ourselves, where am I now as opposed to where I was when this year started? And all of us ought to say, I may not be all that I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And I'm not talking about going back before Christ. We ought to be saying I'm not what I used to be even in reference to the beginning of that particular year. There ought to be this continuous growth, this continuous development, this continuous change that is taking place in our lives. So there's a sense in which we carry the cross that it is speaking to us about our spiritual growth and formation within our own lives, that there is fruitfulness, there is faithfulness that is being manifested in our walk with Christ. But then there's another sense in which our fruitfulness and our faithfulness has to do with how God is working through us to minister to and to bless the lives of others. So when we talk about establishing the kingdom of God, we're talking about our witness to people who are unchurched or unsaved, people who have not come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are called to reach out and to touch and to encourage and to give hope and to lead others into a changing relationship with Christ. We are called to minister to other people. 
Pray for people. Pray for people who are sick. Pray for people who are in bondage. Pray for people who the devil is causing a wreck in their lives. We are called to go behind enemy lines and to make a difference in our community. It has to do with the kingdom. But to do that means we got to bear a cross. The church is here not to sit on the corner. The church is here to change the corner where we sit. We are to minister to the people holistically. So that means we minister to them physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. You know, Jesus had an HEW ministry, uh, housing, education, and welfare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the church's ministry is about evangelization and emancipation. It's a double E connection. Yeah, Jesus, you remember, talks about the least of these. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was in prison. You came to see me. I was sick. You came to visit me. The disciples said, Lord, when do we do these things? He says, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, You've done it also unto me. And when the church gives herself to minister to people holistically, then we are helping to establish the kingdom of God. When you read about the early church in the book of Acts, you remember that it is the resurrected Christ that said to the church, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples of every nation. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then after the day of Pentecost, on that day, Peter preaches one message, 3,000 joined the church. Acts 2.42 says, they continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. It is Peter and John who will meet the man, the crippled man at the gate called Beautiful. It was a beautiful gate, but an ugly situation because people just brought the man and laid him there to keep begging all of his life. But when Peter and John came by, they said, silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We don't have what you want, but we got what you need. They changed that man's life, but it made them have to go to prison because they helped somebody. But they came out of prison, met the church in prayer, and then asked God in prayer, don't remove the burden, just give us more power. The Bible says the Spirit came in and shook the place. And then after that, you read about how they brought the sick to the disciples and how they were healing the sick. Peter had such an anointing on him that he didn't even have to touch them. If they came underneath his shadow, they were healed. The church became so powerful, so radical, so, so committed in her ministry that it says by the time they got to Thessalonica, it is said these who turned the world upside down have come hither also. Beloved, that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to turn our city upside down, turn our community upside down, turn our neighborhood upside down. 
He's called us as a church to be in oneness with churches all over this nation, Christian people all over the nation, even the world, to make of this old world a new world because God has called us to be his witnesses, his ambassadors. God wants us to be his reference point. People are saying, I want to find God. I need God in my life. I want to know who Jesus Christ is. I want to have a sense of who he is, what he does. Us, what difference he'll make in my life and God wants you to be his reference point he wants to say look at this man look at this woman you want to know who I am you want to know what I can do look at their life because they become the example they become the manifestation of the change that I bring about in any person's life once they come to know me that's carrying the cross that's being expendable for the kingdom of God. That's carrying our cross. Carrying the cross is not you had a flat tire on your way to church. Get it fixed. <laughs> carrying the cross is not I got the flu. Take some medication and get over it. Yeah. Carrying the cross means we make a choice. God doesn't force us to take up the cross. It's a choice. We choose to do something that we could choose otherwise not to do. And we understand when we make the choice that it can cost us time. It can cost us money. It can cost us energy. It could even cost us our life. But we make the choice because we said to Jesus, where you lead me, I will follow. The Apostle Paul makes such a powerful statement. I've quoted it many times. It's a kind of a scriptural theme verse in my own life. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When, he, when, when you read that verse, it just sounds like there are some paradoxes in that verse. I am crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Sounds like a paradox to me. I am crucified, nevertheless I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. Sounds like a paradox. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Sounds like a paradox. On one hand, we're talking about we're dead. On the other hand, we're saying, I'm alive. On one hand, we're talking about I. But on the other hand, we're saying, no, it's Jesus. On one hand, we're talking about life in the flesh. But on the other hand, we're talking about a life of faith. But that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to live with this attitude with this disposition with this spiritual reality with this awareness 
that I am walking and living in revelation. Did you hear what I just said? I am walking and living in revelation. That's why it's such a blessing for us to be here today uh, in Bible study. That's why I love teaching the word of God because there's so much power in this word. And when word and spirit come together, there's going to be life. I've said that a million times. Let me say it a million and one times. I'm telling you that when word and spirit come together, what's there going to be? There's going to be life. And every time God keeps giving us revelation, giving us inspiration, giving us illumination from his word, that means we walk in revelation. We live with revelation. That's, that's what enables you to say, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. See, you can have situations and circumstances in your life that on the surface, it can look as ugly as ugly can get. I'm talking about situations that are horrific and horrendous. But you don't lose your mind. You don't become emotionally distraught why? Because you say, as ugly as it might appear, I know even in this, the invisible hand of God is going to make this work out. At the end of the day, in some kind of way, there's going to be redeeming and redemptive for my life. Then when I'm in a mess, God can work a miracle. Yeah, because we live with revelation and we walk in revelation. Let me give you one other particular scripture that I want you to take note of as I thought about this study today. Jesus calls us, does he not? To carry a cross. So one of the distinguishing characteristics and marks of being a kingdom disciple is my willingness to carry my cross in submission to Jesus Christ. That's how I know I'm a Christian. That's one of the ways, that's one of the marks. I cannot carry your cross and you cannot carry mine. Each one of us has a cross to carry. Hallelujah. And so in, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 1, there's a wonderful passage, pericope here, verses 1 and 2 in Hebrews chapter 12, that becomes a real source of strength and power and encouragement for us to carry our cross, to be obedient to God's call upon our life. Look at what the writer says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus calls you and I to carry a cross. You want to be inspired. You want to be encouraged to carry your cross and keep carrying it? Let me tell you what you do. Look to Jesus. He's our best example. He's our model. Jesus is the paradigm of what it means to carry a cross and how to carry that cross. And if I keep my eyes fixed on him, then I won't falter and I won't fail to carry my cross. When I get weak, I just need to look to him. When I get weary about this cross, I look to him. And when I see his life, when I see how he carried his cross, then I say, Lord, I'm going to keep carrying mine because I wouldn't be who I am if you hadn't done for me what you did on a cross. Did you notice how this pericope opens? Therefore, we, all, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there are people looking at us and they expect us to win. They expect us to run the race. They expect us to carry the cross. And they are cheering us on. They've already run their race. They're already with the Lord. But they're looking at us now. Think about it. Noah says run on. Abraham says run your race. Isaac and Jacob says, don't quit. Moses says, be faithful to God. Joshua is encouraging you. David is saying, don't ever stop. Esther says, why don't you run? Deborah says, you fail, get up. Keep on running. Peter, James, and John are saying, run. Prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah say, don't you ever stop running. If you got a mother in Zion, your mama says run. If you got a daddy in that city, he says run. Some of the saints who were part of our church family who have gone home to be with the Lord, like a Hosey Bradley and a Mama Harris, they're looking from the balconies of heaven. They said, you just keep on running. You can do it. There are people in glory looking at you and I run this race and they're encouraging us and they say, we expect you to win the race. Well, how do we win this race? Well, <clears throat> there's about four things we're encouraged to do. One is to divest. Second is to run. Third, keep focus. And then fourth, consider. Can I give it to you again? Four things that pericope tells us to do. One is what? Divest. Second, run. Third, 
keep your focus, and fourth, consider. The first thing is to divest. He says, lay aside. See, divest. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, that word weight, it doesn't mean something that is absolutely and necessarily bad. It could be something that ain't bad that could be good. But it can become a weight and stop you from running your race. Something that you enjoy. Playing golf ain't necessarily bad, but when you got to tee off every Sunday morning <laughs> and miss church, it just became a weight. I like cars, nothing wrong with that, <laughs> but if it starts having the supreme place in my priority, it's a weight. Yeah. I'm trying to think of something on you. <laughs> but just think about what you enjoy, right? Think about what gives you a sense of pleasure, some fun. And I'm saying, in and of itself, it's not necessarily bad. But we can take something that's okay, and we can turn it into a what? A weight. See, because uh, this picture is the uh, Olympiads. That's what this picture is. The context uh, that the writer's speaking of is, is the, the ancient Greco-Roman Olympics. And when the people ran in those races, they tried to wear as little as possible because they wanted to be as weightless as possible so that they could run the race because this was not a 100-yard dash. This was a what? A cross-country run. So you didn't want to have on you what? Any unnecessary weight. So the writer says, get rid of the weight. Get rid of those things that can what? bog you down. And he says the sin that so easily ensnares us. You know, uh, again, they, they, they tried to wear the least in terms of clothing because if they had uh, any long garments on, well, those garments could wrap around their legs, cause them to trip up and fall, you know. So the writer says, and the sin that so easily you know, ensnares you so easily, trips you up. The person beside you, they got some weakness in their life. Don't think you're the only one in here that's got a weakness. Everybody has an Achilles, an Achilles heel. What is your weakness may not be theirs, but everybody has a weakness. Everybody has something that they got to keep before the Lord something that could so easily trip you up. The writer says, divest yourself of that. If you have to pray daily, Lord, don't let this get the best of me today. The writer says, divest, get rid of the weight and the sin that so easily trips you up. And then he says, run. Look at somebody say, run. Yeah, run your race. We all have a race to run.
your course and my course may not be the same course, but all of us have been called to run for Jesus. And when you run the course, you never know what you're going to have to deal with. Because sometimes you can be running on a flat surface, but other times you're running uphill. And then sometimes you're running downhill. And sometimes the road that you're running is winding and twisting. And sometimes while you're running, the wind is at your back. Sometimes the, the wind is at your face. Sometimes it's stormy while you're running, but you got to keep on running. So then we move from divest, run, and then focus. Well, who are we going to focus on? Focus on Jesus. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The word author there means the pioneer of our faith. And the finisher of our faith means the perfecter. Jesus is our example of how to run this race. He's our pioneer and he's our perfecter. That's why you want to look to him. He's already run the race that he's asking you to run. He's the pioneer. You and I wouldn't have a race to run if it wasn't for him. He's the pioneer. And he is the perfecter. He's the one that can show you how to have the spiritual endurance to run and not quit. The devil wants you to quit. He wants you to just stop, get out of the race and say, I can't do it. But no, Jesus says, keep on running. Look to me. I'm the one who gives you the example. And there's something particular that I love about Jesus as the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. The writer says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus face the cross? What was his attitude? What was his disposition about the cross? It was one of what? Joy. He didn't look at the cross as a burden. He took it with great joy. And that's how you and I ought to carry our cross. We ought to say, God, I thank you for my cross. Don't despise it. Don't be regretful about it, reluctant. Lord, I carry this cross and I carry it with joy. But I left one, I left one uh, or two verses out and I apologize for that. Look at verse three. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That's the verse I left out. Remember, there are four parts that we're called. One is divest, second is run, third is uh, focus, and then fourth is what? Consider. The, the writer says, consider Jesus. 
Look what he went through. Sometimes, you know, people talk about the divinity of Jesus, but they want to deny his humanity. No, he, he came in human form. His suffering was not make-believe. He endured real suffering, and he went through it. And the writer says, consider, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Have I got anybody who knows that the devil is always trying to discourage you? I mean, he's always trying to get you to quit. But you got to look him in the face and say, ain't no quitting in me. Let me give you one more chance to just praise God like you done lost your mind. We're running a race. We're running a race. Everybody wins. You didn't quite feel me. You don't have to come in first place to win this race. Only thing required in this race is that you cross the finish line. <laughs> that's, all, that's all that's required. Somebody, I, 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 ran, I ran the race in, in 13 minutes. God bless you. Somebody, I ran the race in 40 minutes. God bless you. Here come Malone. An hour and a half later. <laughs> but I finished the race. That's all that's required. Cross the line. Don't quit. Don't give up. And run it with joy. And if you do that, you'll say like Paul, I ran my race. I finished my course. And there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, not only for me, but for all who love his appearance. I got a cross now, but I'm have a crown after a while. Amen. God be praised. Thank you for sharing with us today for this segment of Tailored to Win. I pray that this word has brought encouragement and empowerment to equip you to live a faithful and fruitful life to the glory of Jesus Christ.